much for tuning in wherever you may be in space and time and the future. My name is Renee. I am your host, the voice in the machine, for this podcast, Embodied Astrology. And in today's episode, we will be exploring Aquarius, the magnificent and uh, incredibly inspiring energy of Aquarius as we head into Aquarius season in 2020. Before we get there, though, let's just take a minute to connect to each other and this medium. Um, Here we all are engaging with the internet, with digital content, which in and of itself is a symbol of Aquarius. I'll talk about that later. But just for a moment, let's be astounded at what's happening. I am sitting in a room all by myself, recording some sound, and you are listening from somewhere else, from another time and another space. And you have somehow accessed this archive, this um, imprint of sound, the information that's been stored in tiny little pieces of data that is collected in um, some kind of holding space that is probably really mysterious to both of us what it actually is. Um, That information is then being relayed through digital networks um, and it's passing through millions of miles of tiny little filament and wires. It's moving through some kind of device and then it is playing into your ears because for whatever reason you've selected it, um, this particular episode of this particular podcast is one of billions of possible uh, archives you could have selected to listen to today, but you've selected it because you're interested in it for some reason. And um, even though embodied astrology is small, relatively, we know that some five to 10,000 other people will also be interested in listening to this episode. And somehow we're all coming together in this virtual space to consider these ideas of astrology and embodiment because we're all interested. We are all seeking to learn more and to lift um, our intelligence, to expand our understanding, um, particularly around astrology or embodiment, but we have other reasons why this content is interesting, um, for sure. And those other reasons have to do with a larger movement that's happening right now, and that movement is not a singular movement. It has come in waves probably for as long as humans have existed on Earth, but the movement is to awaken. It is really to lift our consciousness, to understand why we're here and what it all means and what to do about it. And astrology is a tool. It's a tool for awakening, and it is um, a tool for expanding consciousness. So we're all coming together in this particular episode to learn more about this tool. Um, But this episode and this podcast in general are part of a a much larger movement. And I want to um, invite in awareness that we are all part of that movement, that there are millions of people all around the world who are interested in astrology as a language. And how wonderful is that? Astrology is such a beautiful and creative and generous language, I think, for helping us understand um, our place here on this 
rock that we call Earth, that's hurtling around a star that we call the sun, um, where we are all living in our bodies, living lives, having human experiences, and being influenced by daytime and nighttime and seasons and cycles and rhythms. Um, astrology is uh, a language for the evolution of consciousness. That's something that I believe. And I first heard that sentiment, that idea from an astrologer who I deeply admire named Dane Rudyard. And I want to offer um, one of his quotes. And this quote is from a text called The Astrology of Transformation, a multi-level approach um, in the prologue right at the beginning. This is a text that's available, I think, for free. Um, on the internet. Um, this is page three. Um, he writes, astrology is the main symbol I've been using. It deals with the central problem of human existence because it refers to the most basic of all such problems, which is the meaning of the relationship between man and the universe of which he is part. It does so because the prima materia, that means the um, primal material, as it were, of astrology refers to the most primordial and universal of all human experiences. The experience of sky in its day and night aspects, thus of light and darkness, of waking consciousness and sleep. What astrology essentially does is merely interpret this experience of the sky. It can be and always has been interpreted in two ways. The first way is the symbolic and evocative way, which sees in the whole sky and the ordered motions of the lights of sun, moon, planets, and stars, a revelation of the order of earthly nature in as well as outside of man. And two, the second way we might understand astrology is the empirical and descriptive way, which seeks to give a systematic formulation to the correspondence between recurring events in nature and the periodic changes in the positions of and the interrelationship among celestial bodies. So thanks to Dane Rudyar, um, his writing is incredible. If you're interested in astrology, I highly recommend that you check out his books. He was a prolific author and philosopher and um, spiritual thinker. And his um, thinking on astrology is certainly still incredibly relevant. Um, I don't know exactly when he died um, sometime in the last century, but he, um, I think, is a, a really innovative thinker about astrology, and his concepts are um, awesome and definitely very relevant now. So I wanted to um, begin with this kind of awareness of you know, where we are and what we're engaging with. Um, and this quote from Dane Rudyard to introduce this podcast, Embodied Astrology, um, for what I hope it is, which is a gesture, um, a symbolic, hopefully an evocative gesture, um, to engage with the astrological motions, with the symbols of the sun, moon, planets, and stars, um, as a means for revelation, as a space where we might get some kind of perspective and context for what we're experiencing here in our bodies and together in our relationships and communities, um, and of course, global community, and maybe on also a, a different kind of level, which is definitely more subtle, um, but definitely something that I feel, and I think you probably do too, which is something like a, a spiritual purpose, you know, some um, other dimension that maybe we are here to move forward in and with. 
So Embodied Astrology is um, not a podcast where I'm going to give you a formulaic description of what things mean and why. Um, I am a poet, I'm an artist, and I am an embodiment practitioner. I think a lot through my body, through um, a somatic lens, and I use astrology as a tool for art, as a tool for poetry, as a launching pad um, to think about embodiment, and that's really where I'm coming from. So please be prepared for um, some rambling, please be prepared for some historical inquiry, for some politics. Um, for uh, a queer and feminist and maybe in some ways radical voice, um, which is where I hope to position myself. Definitely, um, these are the places that I come from. Um, I am a working astrologer, and that means that it's my job. I do this podcast every month. I offer audio horoscopes that go along with the podcast and I read charts every single week. I sit down with people that I don't know, that I have absolutely no context for. And through their chart, we talk about deeply personal and intimate spaces in their lives. And through their chart, we have moments of healing together. In most of the readings that I give, if not all of the readings that I give, I continue to experience astrology as such an incredible tool for healing. Because really, it allows a kind of objective, distanced perspective on the most personal and vulnerable um, and kind of deeply fragile elements of ourselves. The, the ways where we might think, you know, we're alone or we're so fucked up or we don't understand why we are a certain way because it doesn't fit in X, Y, or Z space or relationship. And astrology just kind of points it out and holds it in a container of language that is um, not personal. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, your moon is an aspect to Mars in this way, and that presents these kinds of conflicts and these kinds of preferences, and here's what you can do with it. It's not a blame game. It's not telling you that there's anything wrong with you. It's actually telling you that everything is right with you, and you get to um, work with your own energy with the energy that is contained within you and the more that you bring consciousness and intelligence to that energy the more that energy will manifest in brilliant exalted generative ways and that I think is the potential of astrology and um, especially for today's theme which is Aquarius I want to honor astrology as a language because Aquarius represents intelligence it is one of the air signs all of the air signs deal with information with thought with language and Aquarius is high level concept it's abstraction it's the ability to understand systems in their complexities and their unities um, so I sure am excited to be here with you, and I've got a lot that I want to get to in today's episode, um, and I will get right into it in just a moment. I'm going to take a very brief pause for a sponsorship break, and I will be right back with you. friends thank you so much for sticking around for that sponsorship message um, I want to thank you for listening to it and for tuning in sponsorships are one of the ways that embodied astrology um, is sustained month after month year after year this podcast is actually a lot of work and a lot of time to produce um, and 
I really believe in accessibility. Um, as much as I can in my life and in my practice, I'm working to um, divert from capitalism. Um, I talked about this a lot in last month's episode, but I think information and knowledge should be shared. And I think astrology um, is again, such an amazing tool for the evolution of consciousness. So I want to participate by sharing it in whatever ways that I can by offering it to you. And if it's meaningful for you, please help this work to continue. Please help it to sustain. The number one way you can do that is by sharing it with other people. Every listen to this track is going to uh, also listen to those sponsorship messages, which means that a couple of pennies or a couple of dollars come in that then support next month's episode. Um, so thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for leaving awesome reviews, for clicking likes and hearts, for letting your friends and family know. You can uh, sign up for my free newsletter and... Uh, um, distribute that newsletter uh, freely. There are a couple of other ways to support this work. And um, of course, a financial uh, donation is one of them. So if you have a couple of extra bucks and you want to throw them my way, think about it as taking me out for tea someday, one day when I go out for tea and read about astrology and think about the next month's content, um, you can leave a donation at embodiedastrology.com in the tip jar, and you can find that link in the show notes as well. And then finally, you can support this work by becoming a subscriber. Um, subscriptions offer a lot of benefits. First of all, you get access to my extended month ahead forecasts. That's another recording where I go through day by day in the upcoming season and talk about the astrology, including the lunar cycles and phases and the planetary aspects, and I give interpretations for them. Um, in these larger podcasts, I'm really exploring a, a bigger theme and embodiment of a sign and an upcoming month. So these extended forecasts are really a forecast. We go through the entire month and think about what's happening day by day. Along with the extended forecast, you also get a printable astro journal. That journal is a space for you to record your experiences day by day with astrology in relationship to the lunar cycles and the planetary aspects, which are all listed in every day's entries, along with creative um, and embodied suggestions for working with the astrology through journaling prompts, through meditation, through physical practices, etc. Um, subscribers also get discounts on my digital products like the year ahead birthday reports, which are 12 month ahead um, reports for sun and rising signs and uh, my online classes. So there's a lot to gain by becoming a subscriber and you can subscribe at a rate that is reasonable for you. Um, you choose. It's by donation, pay what you can, monthly, quarterly, or yearly donations. So please, if you benefit from this work, if you listen to it regularly, become a subscriber today and help sustain it. Thank you so much. <sighs> Thank you to Krishna Murti, to Jidu Krishna Murti, who's been um, a teacher of mine for a long time now. I have um, really been so deeply influenced by his thoughts. Um, Krishnamurti was a really fascinating character. I encourage you to learn more about him. But he's inspired the name of today's episode, which is Freedom from the Known, um, in his text, Freedom from the Known. So I want to begin um, this inquiry into Aquarius by reading um, a couple of paragraphs from that book. And I think that these paragraphs are really evocative and symbolic as we start to think into Aquarius and its energy. 
So this is from Krishnamurti, and before I, I read it, I do want to say that um, in the last quote that I read from Dane Rudyard, you may have noticed the um, masculine pronouns that are, of course, quite dated, but were um, just a, a style of writing um, in the time that these people were writing. So Krishnamurti um, uses that style as well, and I'm going to take a creative liberty to change the pronouns a little bit as I read, so just want to let you know that. All right, this is from Freedom from the Known. What is yourself, the individual you? I think there is a difference between the human being and the individual. The individual is a local entity living in a particular country, belonging to a particular culture, particular society, particular religion. The human being is not a local entity. He is everywhere. If the individual merely acts in a particular corner of the vast field of life, then her action is totally unrelated to the whole. So no one has to bear in mind that we are talking of the whole, not the part. Because in the greater, the lesser is. But in the lesser, the greater is. The individual is the little, conditioned, miserable, frustrated entity, satisfied with their little gods and little traditions. Whereas a human being is concerned with the total welfare, the total misery, and the total confusion of the world. We human beings are what we have been for millions of years, colossally greedy, envious, aggressive, jealous, jealous, anxious, and despairing, with occasional flashes of joy and affection. We are a strange mixture of hate, fear, and gentleness. We are both violence and peace. There has been an outward progress from the bullock cart to the jet plane, but psychologically, the individual has not changed at all, and the structure of society throughout the world has been created by individuals. The outward social structure is the result of the inward psychological structure of our human relationships, for the individual is the result of the total experience, knowledge, and conduct of man. Each one of us is the storehouse of all the past. The individual is the human who is all humankind. The whole history of us is written in ourselves. Do observe what is actually taking place within yourself and outside yourself in the competitive culture in which you live with its desire for power, position, prestige, fame, success, and all the rest of it. Observe the achievements of which you are so proud, this whole field you call living in which there is conflict in every form of relationship, breeding hatred, antagonism, brutality, and endless wars. This field, this life, is all we know. And being unable to understand the enormous battle of, exist of existence we are naturally afraid of it and find escape from it in all sorts of subtle ways. And we are frightened also of the unknown, frightened of death, frightened of what lies beyond tomorrow. So we are afraid of the known and afraid of the unknown. That is our daily life, and in that there is no hope. And therefore, every form of philosophy, every form of theological concept is merely an escape from the actual reality of what is. All outward forms of change brought about by wars, revolutions, reformations, laws, and ideologies have failed completely to change the basic nature of humankind and therefore of society. As human beings living in this monstrously ugly world, let us ask ourselves, can this society, based on competition, brutality, and fear, come to an end? Not as an intellectual conception, not as a hope, but as an actual fact, so that the mind is made fresh, new and innocent, and can bring about a different world altogether. It can only happen, I think, if each one of us recognizes the central fact that we, as individuals, 
as human beings, in whatever part of the world we happen to live, or whatever culture we happen to belong to, are totally responsible for the whole state of the world. We are each one of us responsible for every war because of the aggressiveness of our own lives, because of our nationalism, our selfishness, our gods, our prejudices, our ideals, all of which divide us. And only when we realize, not intellectually, but actually, as actually as we would recognize that we are hungry or in pain, that you and I are responsible for all of this existing chaos, for all the misery throughout the entire world, because we have contributed to it in our daily lives and are part of this monstrous society with its wars, divisions, its ugliness, brutality, and greed, only then will we act. <sighs> Thanks to Krishnamurti for that passage. Um, I wanted to include that as the beginning for the Aquarius season episode because it is such a perfect encapsulation of Aquarian thought. Krishnamurti had an Aquarius ascendant and um, should mention also that Dane Rudyar, the astrology astrologer I mentioned previously, had an Aquarius moon. So we definitely have some Aquarian intelligence flowing through them and their voices. But this, this piece of writing, the, the sentiment that he's talking about is... Um, Aquarian in many ways. And first of all, it's Aquarian in its honesty, in its objective articulation of um, the state of the world. And a kind of, um, you know, knocking down of, I think, a lot of fluffy idealism that uh, we can get into a lot of the time. And certainly I can as well. And um, I, I did a moment ago saying, oh, you know, astrology is a language for the evolution of consciousness. Here we are in this moment of awakening. You know, there's so much hope. We're awakening. We're doing all this because we've got these tools. And this isn't the first time that humankind has had uh, tools for the elevation of consciousness. We've had these tools for as long as we've existed. And um, even though we've had so many revolutions, so many ideologies, so many wars, we are pretty much in the same state that we have been in uh, since we began, which is a, a state of kind of base level reactivity and territorialism. Um, even those of us that are trying to awaken are part of societies that are functioning on base level reactivity and territorialism. And so what Krishnamurti is offering here is that each individual is formed within their society. They're formed within the, the concepts and the containers of the society. And the society or the culture is a worldview, right? It is um, uh, uh, an entire set of rules that give us the possibility within which we become, within which we can act, within which we can respond. And so even though um, those of us listening to this podcast might be thinking, okay, we're trying to awaken, you know, I've got astrology, I'm recognizing myself, I'm doing this type of healing work. We're also all living in societies that um, are, are using capitalism in a particular way. The sponsorships that I rely on for this podcast to continue, the devices that we're listening through, these technologies are not egalitarian. They're not here for the common betterment and uplifting of the whole. They are here to, um, yes, offer certain kinds of tools or access, but definitely to elevate a small group of people who benefit monetarily um, from them. And 
until the entire world changes, until we get to a space where the context in which we are all living is a context of mutual benefit and uplifting, we will continue to be responsible um, for our downfalls. So we all have to move towards it together, right? And, and this is such a kind of big sentiment of Aquarius. When we tune into the Aquarian wisdom, it's um, all of us or none of us. We are here together as a human family. And um, therefore, we need objectivity. We need logic. We need analysis to um, comprehend the state that we are in. This big human family of 9 billion people of hundreds, thousands of years of history and trauma that we're reacting to, we need to somehow rise above our base level reactivity and competitiveness and territorialism and insecurities so that we can work together to shift and elevate our consciousness. Because if we don't, then we will continue to move in the direction of destruction. And we know that we don't have much time left moving in that direction. And even the elite few who uh, might live their lives in comparative states of pleasure are um, not immune, right? So we're all moving to the end <laughs> together. Uh, we all live on this planet together. And together, we have to awaken. If all of us don't awaken, then none of us can really awaken. So thanks to Krishnamurti for offering that and uh, launching us off. Um, I want to move next to an, another inspiration for today's podcast, um, which of course is Dr. Martin Luther King. And Aquarius season this year, 2020, begins on January 20th. And this is MLK Day in the United States, the remembrance of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, which was a couple of days ago on the 15th, and his legacy and his work. Um, and so I, I really want to dedicate um, this episode to Martin Luther King. Um, and I want to say that I don't know a lot about Martin Luther King. I'm learning and trying to learn. And my dedication um, for this month and in public speaking it out loud, and you will hear it, is that I am going to learn more about um, Martin Luther King's message. Um, and I'm wanting to learn more because I know enough to know that I don't know that much. To, I, I know that a lot of his messages um, were whitewashed, literally. Um, they were, you know, um, kind of truncated and abbreviated and turned into magnets and quotables and um, made into digestible little sound bites, but the, the breadth and depth of Dr. King's um, message was expansive and um, incredibly deep and really relevant now, just as much as it was 50 or 60 years ago. So um, happy Martin Luther King Day, happy Black History Month if you're listening from the future in February. Um, as we move into exploring Aquarius, I want to think a little bit about um, Martin Luther King's birth chart. So I have his natal chart up and um, he'll be the launching pad. Um, he'll provide that kind of doorway within which we will then um, continue to explore Aquarius and Aquarius season. 
So Martin Luther King Jr. was born on January 15th, 1929, and I have a 12 p.m. birth time for him in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I'm not entirely sure if this birth time is accurate, but when I look at the chart and I consider what I do know of him and his life, it seems very accurate. So Martin Luther King was a Capricorn, and that means that the son was in Capricorn. He was born in the season of Capricorn. And his son was conjunct to the midheaven in his chart. So uh, for those of you who are not familiar with these words, um, astrology is a, a complex, again, uh, codex, <laughs> um, a vast kind of library of different symbols, and each symbol contains a story. So the symbol of the sun is the story of the essence of a being. It is their radiance, it's their eminence, it's what they are here to express in their lives. Um, the sun is ca in Capricorn is radiating Capricorn's intelligence. It's radiating the expression of Capricorn. Capricorn is dignified. It is extremely wise. It has a lot of tenacity. It is a very committed and it is quite practical. Um, Capricorn also has a lot of authority. And um, the sun in Capricorn is expressing that dignity and authority, and it is expressing in the chart from the midheaven. And the midheaven is the highest point in the chart. Um, it is literally like the, the zenith of the arc of the sun, and the midheaven expresses um, kind of the most public presentation as well as the purpose of a being. So to have sun conjunct to the midheaven uh, in a natal chart is a signature of a person who is here to really be a leader in a space of leadership. And this person um, was leading with dignity and authority in a very public way. Martin Luther King had a Taurus rising. That means that the light of Taurus was coming up on the easternmost descendant at the time and place that he was born. Um, this is the, the hue or the light that's cast upon the body as it enters into the world. And therefore, the rising sign expresses um, the kind of personality, the appearance, the bias of a person. It's that kind of first layer of their identity that is the embodiment. And when I look at pictures of Martin Luther King, I see the, the Taurian body in him, uh, a really sturdy, earthy, sensual body and face, a, a groundedness and embodiment that he carried with him. Now, you may know that in medical astrology, Taurus literally rules the, the throat and the voice box. And um, he had the planet Jupiter in Taurus conjunct to Chiron in Taurus um, in his 12th house. So um, Jupiter in Taurus, I actually have a, a number of clients I'm thinking of right now who are Jupiter and Taurus people. Um, Jupiter expresses something that's big and magnified and generous and um, is a space for learning and expansion. And all of the clients I'm thinking of right now are uh, they use their voice in some way. They're orators, they're writers, they're singers. And Jupiter and Taurus is an expression of a big voice, something to say. Chiron, Jupiter is conjunct to Chiron, so they're acting together, um, is the, the symbol of becoming a, a healer and an educator through one's own experiences of healing and educating. And the reason that we go into that we have these experiences um, is necessity because we're suffering. 
And so Chiron describes the, the journey and the process of healing, how we have to muck around with our own pain and suffering and how pain and suffering are actually what expands our container for understanding and knowledge and gives us an ability to have compassion and meet other people and provide some source of healing uh, that they can benefit from as well. So this is uh, Dr. King's voice, and it's coming through in the 12th house, which is a place in the chart that very much correlates to collective sentiment, to um, the, the kind of energy that encapsulates all of us together. And Dr. King has a packed 12th house. I'm not going to talk about his entire chart, but the 12th house is often a place where we see a lot of placements for um, celebrities and politicians. These are people whose um, bodies become the vehicles and the vessels for um, a collective need. So there was Martin Luther King Jr., um, the man, the person, and then there's MLK, the icon, the figure that we um, project onto, whose voice carries a message that reaches millions and millions of people, that reaches across time and space. And that's the 12th house. It's the place of timelessness. It's the place of spacelessness. It's the collective influence. Now, the 12th house is associated to the 12th sign, which is Pisces, and um, MLK has uh, a stellium in Pisces. He has Venus and the moon and Ceres all conjunct in the 11th house. And uh, Venus, the moon, and Ceres, first of all, are incredibly feminine figures, all of them. Venus um, re represents a, the kind of... Um, feminine energy in its purest, meaning the magnetic, attractive, receptive energy, sweetness, love, connection, what we value, what we hold dear. The moon represents the interior emotional need. And wherever the moon is, is a hunger. It's something that must be satisfied and must be fed. And therefore, it's also how we satisfy and feed others. Ceres is an interesting figure. It's an asteroid, and um, it relates in many ways to um, the, the trials or the tests that we will go through for those whom we love, as well as to um, nurturing again and the actual act of providing for others. So all of these actors, these uh, planets, satellite, and asteroid, they're, they're all working together. Their influences are combined in the sign Pisces, which is a sign that represents, again, a, a kind of collective sentiment. But in its exalted state, Pisces is the teacher of oneness. It reminds us that um, all energy is interpermeating and interdependent all of the time, that we... Um, have to transcend divisiveness and come together. And when we come together, we reach bliss, actually. We can let go of, of the uh, causes of our suffering and connect to our divine purpose. We can connect to love. And where he has these placements is in the 11th house. And the 11th house is the space of um, social participation. It's where we engage with movements. And um, it's the place of audiences where someone might reach um, big groups of people. Finally, the last um, little symbol I'm recognizing and really appreciating is Dr. King's Mercury in Aquarius in the 10th house. So Mercury is the orator. It's the writer. It rules language and words, communications of all kinds. And the 10th house is a very public space. It is um, 
where we find information about a per person's career or their vocation, um, where they put themselves forward into the public eye. And Aquarius, of course, is the theme for the day. Um, Aquarius is the iconoclast, it's the rebel, it's the one who um, refuses to play by the rules and pushes back against um, stale, old, outdated authority and oppression. Aquarius is the future, it is the collective, it is the riling up of the people. And here is Dr. King's Mercury in Aquarius. What a, a beautiful presentation. Um, just a quick note to say that if you are interested in astrology and want to join me this month in learning more about Martin Luther King, you can find his astrology chart on AstroDienst, astro.com, which is an amazing free resource on the internet. Um, I've worked professionally as an astrologer for six years and I still haven't purchased um, a professional astrology software simply because I have pretty much everything I need on astro.com. So um, check them out. They've got all kinds of chart possibilities and a huge database of celebrity charts, which is where I found this one. I um, started off today's episode really kind of meditating with the idea of Martin Luther King and his Mercury in Aquarius and thinking about the way that his voice was a vehicle for this intelligence and um, agitation of the people and provocation of the people to come together, to move past divisiveness, to unite. And as I mentioned, I want to learn more about him. I want to learn more about his message beyond the magnets and the quotables. So I began by um, looking at his I Have a Dream speech, which is easily probably the most quotable, quoted speech. Um, but as I was reading it, I was realizing, um, wow, this speech is so much more than the, the quotes that you commonly hear, than the sound bites. It's actually such a pointed um, critique at America and um, the failing of America to really embody the dream of, of what America says it, it could be or what the Declaration of Independence um, stated that it was. I really appreciate the, the ferocity of his voice, which is both compassionate and um, definitely fierce and clear. Um, right at the beginning of this speech, he says, in a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring the sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. Um, please go get to the internet and read the entire speech. It is um, a revelation and really important, I think, as we consider the, the messages of Dr. King and Aquarius to continue to bring it back to um, the theme of this podcast and, and thinking about astrology and what um, Martin Luther King's Mercury in Aquarius was, was speaking to. Um, the, the more I learn about Dr. Martin Luther King, the more I learn um, what a kind of... Um, 
conflicted character he represented for a lot of people, um, particularly the the people who sought to um, kind of tokenize him. And I think this is a, a lot of white people, especially, and um, white leaders who were liberals, who were also working for similar aims, but who were having trouble. And, and I think that this in includes probably more than the white leaders, but people who were having trouble with the complexity that he was speaking to. Um, so in true Aquarian fashion, Dr. King um, talked a lot about how the civil rights movement um, was not an isolated movement, that it was a movement that reflected the need for human rights across the world. And he talked to uh, class struggles and um, the, the kind of similar condition that poverty creates for people um, in the sense that there is reactivity, there's survival men mentality. When I was speaking a moment ago um, in referencing Krishnamurti and uh, the base level intelligence that we are trying to awaken from and to arise from, um, one of the conditions that creates base level intelligence is scarcity. Another is fear. And uh, for anyone on earth who is dealing on a day-by-day -day basis with scarcity, not getting their basic needs met, with fear, they live in a body that for whatever reason might be um, a uh, target for injustice or violence. Um, and then, of course, cultures that perpetuate scarcity thinking and fear regardless of your body regardless of your actual circumstance that this is these are conditions that a lot of us simply just live in most of the time because that's what the world is about um, these are situations that we need to transcend and dr king was urgent and his urgency um, was a was a pushback against i think a different kind of thinking that hopefully is less and less common, which is this kind of thinking of incrementalism, you know, like we'll take one small step and then one small step and look, we're making progress and look, we're making progress. But this is what Krishnamurti was talking to as well, that for all the movements that we have, for all these ideologies, we're still in the same fucking place. And so um, Dr. King was saying, this is the time, you know, we have to do it all together and we can't go step by step. We can't tell people who are suffering that they need to wait longer um, we, we have to do it now. It is urgent right now. And he was calling for a multiracial unity and saying that, you know, black people and African Americans were certainly not the only group oppressed in America. Um, in his book, Why We Can't Wait, he says, uh, our nation was born in genocide when it embraced the doctrine that the original American, the Indian, was an inferior race even before there were large numbers of Negroes on our shores, the scar of racial hatred had already disfigured colonial society. I think it's important here to remember that what Dr. King is referencing in this quote of the birth of a nation with, with genocide um, is really a, a deep historical context. Um, it's beyond the founding fathers. It's before that. Um, if you happened to listen to last month's Embodied Astrology episode, 
on Capricorn season, Breakdown to Breakthrough, I was talking about the previous Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn, which was a kind of big um, peak moment of the astrology of last month. And the last time that these two planets had come together in Capricorn in 1518 was the year that King Charles I of Spain had um, given the go-ahead for African peoples to be shipped directly to the Americas for purposes of enslavement. And um, certainly this project that is America um, has a long history and that history, the idea of America, um, its identity and that name um, is founded in theft and erasure and genocide. And so the um, complexity that Dr. King was speaking to, I think, was a complexity that requires everyone to get on board. And that isn't just people of color, people who are feeling marginalized. It's also white people. It's also people who are in spaces of privilege. Because as he pointed out again and again and again, the, the scar of racial hatred that has disfigured this country and this society is a scar that has disfigured all of us. We are all suffering under the same confinements that keep us separated from one another, that keep us at war with one another, that keep us mistrusting one another, that keep us um, in belief systems where we um, think that it's okay and that it's sanctioned and uh, even preferable to exploit others for personal benefit. And those systems have grown up all around us to become the uh, multinational global corporate capitalist system. And um, I think that this, you know, really made Dr. King a figure of contention for a lot of people because this isn't a, a simple call for, you know, voting rights for black people. It's much, much bigger than that. And it's a call for uh, every individual to really look at their place in it and their participation in it. And this is threatening for a lot of people. It's particularly threatening for those of us, and I put myself in this category, who have um, privileges that are unearned. We have ease in our lives simply because of the color of our skin or the inheritances of our families. It's really hard to look at what we've worked for and what we've earned and what we've inherited and to say, I might need to give up all that because that is a cause of suffering for someone else. Um, in a speech that uh, Dr. King gave, I think exactly one year before he was assassinated, this was a speech um, given in April of 1967 called Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break Silence. He said, a nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. Um, he was speaking specifically to the Vietnam War, and in this speech he called for a union of, of the peace movement and the anti-war movement with the civil rights movement and um, really made a point to point out that what was happening to brown-bodied people in Vietnam was not different than what had happened to black-bodied people on the African continent or continued to happen in the Americas. And um, he was pointing out a, a global system of anti-blackness, a global system of exploitation and racketeering and profiting of a very elite few on the bodies and the resources of others. And of course, this system continues. And what Dr. King was speaking to um, 
in the time of the Vietnam War is still relevant today. And that brings me really fully into Aquarius season and an analysis of the Aquarius season chart, the moment that the sun moves into Aquarius, because um, as with any chart, it is a snapshot of the sky. It is one moment in an evolving story. And looking at the chart for Aquarius season and thinking into the next 29, 30 days, which is really a very small amount of time, um, we also have to take into context what is preceding this moment, which is a lot, right? Lots of time, lots of years. But specifically within the last couple of weeks in Capricorn season, we have yet another war that the United States military is involving itself in with Iran. And um, I've written a couple of posts on Instagram about astrology and this war. So if you're interested to find those, um, again, you can find it at embodiedastrology.com. Um, but I definitely want to think about this, this war and this moment in time as the context for Aquarius season as we get into this chart. So before I make that entry to thinking about the chart, I just want to um, offer one more deep bow to Martin Luther King. Um, thank you so much to your energy that is still vibrating and resonating so strongly on this planet. And um, may we work together to realize your vision and to um, embody your intelligence. Please join me this month, everyone who's listening, as I um, strive to learn more about Dr. Martin Luther King and his work. Okay, so here we are at the moment of the chart, reading the chart. Um, I will give a, a reading of the chart similar as I would give a reading of a person's chart. Um, I'm going to look at the chart for the moment that the sun enters Aquarius. And for my purposes, since I'm reading, then I'm going to look at the chart for the moment the sun enters Aquarius where I am, um, which at this moment is Portland, Oregon in the Pacific Northwest United States. And uh, the sun officially entered the tropical sign of Aquarius this morning at 6.55 a.m. So that is the chart that I'm looking at and if you want to pull up that chart again astro.com is a great resource and you can pull up a chart of the moment an event chart for 6 55 a.m on January 20th on the west coast of the United States and you will find this chart too so the first thing that I notice when I look at this chart is that Capricorn is rising and when I was talking about um, MLK's chart I was talking about his Taurus rising and this casts the hue the light over the body and so we get the identity and thinking about the chart of the moment and what is coming in this season um, Capricorn being the rising sign casts the light over this season. Now I use a Placidus house system, not whole signs. If you're an astrologer, that means something to you. If you're not, don't worry about it. Um, but basically in the Placidus system, um, there's a Capricorn rising, 14 Capricorn rising, but Aquarius in its entirety is contained within the first house. So Aquarius is intercepted in the first house. Before I get to Aquarius, let's stick with this rising sign for a moment. We have the hue of Capricorn, the light of Capricorn infusing Aquarius season. Capricorn is a loaded sign right now. Um, listen to last month's episode for a deep exploration into what Capricorn is going through at this moment. In summary, there is a, a critical moment that we are facing in our evolution as a species and in our place on this planet. This planet is fucking old. It is four and a half billion years old. It will go on with or without us. 
The planet is vital, it is resilient, it is profoundly creative and strong. Humans have been around for some 300,000 years. We are a very young species and we have remarkable um, capacities. We have remarkable technologies at our disposal. And our intelligence, our ability to apply our brains to abstract problems, to seek out uh, complex engineering and um, you know, analyze our situation is, I, I think, extraordinary and very unique. And I'm sure that there's other life in the universe that has intelligence that matches and um, ex extends way beyond ours. But at least on our planet, humans are a unique animal. We can really shape the world around our needs. And that is exceptional as far as animals go on this planet. Now, our technology has been coming, um, has been being developed from base level needs, right? So when we're thinking about where's the consciousness of humanity, these last 300,000 years, the majority of it, we were um, tribal, we were small bands of people, we were fighting for our survival. And um, only in the last couple thousand years have we really started to develop into societies, last 10,000 years or so, develop into societies, um, kind of create technologies that then form foundations for societies beyond our bodies. There's a really interesting book that I've been reading very slowly called Sapiens. Um, maybe you've heard it or read of it. I can't remember the author's name at the moment. But in that book, he um, suggests, he says that the, the reason why Homo sapiens became a dominant species is because of their ability to connect people through story and to use language as a means for bringing people together um, under shared belief shared ideas. And so beliefs like religion or beliefs like nationhood are beliefs that millions of people can collect within and therefore they become very powerful. They can um, create quite a, a significant impact um, on other humans and of course on the planet itself. Now with Capricorn on the, on the ascendant for the Aquarius chart, I think that our um, development as a species and particularly the systems that we have built over time are really what's um, in view right now. And we are looking collectively at manifestation, what we have manifested over these some few thousands of years where we've really been quite productive, but we've been producing from a state of uh, survival instinct, from a state of fear, from desires for conquest and dominance. Now I'm saying we and I'm saying us and I'm um, not entirely sure that this is what all humans have been about for all time, so excuse me if, if you're hearing that and going, sorry, but there there's another we out there and you know we've had other kinds of technologies, I um, agree with that. But what's dominant right now in terms of what's made the largest global impact are technologies and foundations and systems that have been built upon strategies for competition and dominance. And these strategies are failing us. They are failing the needs for 
the people as a whole, they're failing the needs of our planet as a living body that sustains all of us. And the failure that we're facing right now is extreme. The failure includes um, the, the failure to account for the needs for billions of people, the failure to account for the needs of um, other animals, of the living systems which we are interdependent and codependent with. On the ascendant is Jupiter. Jupiter has just risen in the chart, and um, as, as the planet that is kind of the closest to the ascendant, we have to consider that this is the energy that we are um, really being influenced by, that we are appearing with and as. Now, Jupiter is a benefic planet. It is a generous planet. It's a planet that um, describes the desire to learn, to grow, um, to expand one's context and capacity for understanding and meaning. Um, side note, when I say that Jupiter is a planet that is generous, da, 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 don't take that literally. Jupiter is a ball of gas. It's an astronomical object. The astrological symbolism of Jupiter is benefic. It is generous, etc. Okay, digression. Um, coming back. So Jupiter on the Ascendant suggests that we are actually at a moment of learning. Um, Jupiter is in trine with Uranus and Taurus. This is a, a symbol of deep changes on Earth. And the, the moment that we're in is truly, I think, has the potential at least to be a moment of profound awakening. And all of the tools that we have right now, whether it's astrology or um, some other form of science, the biology, physics, um, astrophysics, whether it is um, religion, which could be seen as a tool. Um, we have so many tools at our disposal to make sense of what's happening in the world. And how we are doing that collectively is key. How we're learning and how we're understanding our context is key. And if enough of us wake up, and that doesn't have to be every person, I think it's actually a, a somewhat small percentage um, I'm forgetting where I heard this. I think somewhere I heard that if 13% of an, of an organism starts to change, then the rest of the organism will change, which is kind of a, a small percentage, right? 13%. So if 13% of uh, the human race starts to mobilize around making meaning from the moment that we're in, and the meaning that is made has to do with shared responsibility, um, the sentiment that Dr. King and Krishnamurti were both speaking to, this shared responsibility that we all need to wake up, that we all need to understand that we are part of a larger system, and that through our ignorance, um, through our sleepiness, we are complicit in the functioning of that larger system, the perpetuation of suffering, the perpetuation of environmental destruction. Um, when we can wake up to that, then we can change. Then we can have this consciousness shift that I think we definitely want and that we definitely need if we're going to survive. Now, just below the horizon, Saturn and Pluto are still conjunct. So today they're at 23 degrees of Capricorn. They've both moved off of the 22nd degree, which is where they perfected their conjunction. Um, this symbol of Saturn-Pluto conjunct is a powerful symbol. Historically, Saturn-Pluto conjunctions have occurred at times when wars are either beginning or they're amplifying, a next step is taken. And when we consider the symbolism of Pluto, 
God of death, decay, destruction, and um, the misuse of power or the shadow element coming together with, Plute, with Saturn, uh, a planet that symbolizes formation, force, um, materials, and also military, this makes sense, right, as a symbol that when these two planets come together, war happens. Um, I mentioned a moment ago that the last time they came together in Capricorn in 1518 was a really important moment in terms of the history of um, or colonial history, colonial settler mentality, and um, the war that is still ongoing in our hearts and our minds and across our planet when it comes to the idea that um, a couple of people, not that many, but a couple of people can own the bodies, can own the energy, the life force of other people, that a couple of people, not that many, can exploit the resources of the planet itself and reap the benefits and collect them and keep them. This is what's rising in terms of consciousness um, when we look at the chart for Aquarius season. So these themes that I talked about last month in depth, these are themes that are very much in our consciousness. They're very much something that we're looking at. And one of the posts I made um, in the last few weeks, I was mentioning that the U.S. military is um, one of the biggest polluters on the planet. I think it ranks 47 or something like that um, in terms of, of the worst polluters. And that is beating out several countries um, in terms of harmful emissions being output every year. When we think about war and imperialism and this kind of... Um, project of capitalism and democracy that depends upon the military to continue, right? This isn't a, a project seeking to give life, liberty, freedom, and pursuit of happiness to all beings. It's a project that is really seeking to consolidate wealth and power. Um, the military is the instrument. And the production of weapons, the chemicals used in making bombs, um, what is disseminated once those bombs are exploded, not to mention the, the psychological toxins of war, are one of the most significant pollutants in our world today. So I think it's essential that when we think of war, we're not just thinking of um, a couple of countries or governments at war with one another, the potential of bombs or the potential of human death, that we're also thinking about um, climate chaos. We're also thinking about the fires in Australia. We're also thinking about hurricanes in Puerto Rico and um, increasing likelihood of earthquakes. Um, we're also thinking about climate refugees and forced migration. These issues are not separate from one another. They are absolutely intertwined. And it is absolutely essential that we understand that, that there doesn't continue to be a division of interests between environmentalists and people who want social justice. They are the same thing. Jupiter suggests that we're getting there, I think. I think we're getting there. I think that there's enough people, that it's growing, that there's a potential that we can awaken. And Jupiter is the dispositor, this is an astrological term, of um, Venus and Neptune in the chart. So we see that Venus and Neptune um, are moving into conjunction. Venus is applying in its conjunction to Neptune in Pisces in the second house. The second house is an important 
place in a chart because it signifies the values of something or someone and really a, um, a, a really important kind of space of sentiment which has to do with desire. This is what I want, this is what I need. In the chart for Aquarius season, Pisces rules the cusp of the second house and Venus and Neptune are there. And what I make of this, how I interpret it, is that Pisces um, is a sign and Neptune is the ruler of Pisces, so Neptune speaks to this as well, that these are energies that um, really work through collective sentiment. And grief is a really powerful sentiment and the feeling of loss is an incredibly powerful sentiment. And if you've ever gone through an experience where you lose something or you lose someone that was really important to you, you know how that experience opens you to love. Um, there may be also significant despair, but there's also quite a profound sensation of love that arises, that opens, I think, in loss, where we recognize like, oh, you know, that that person was here, you know, think of all the times I was distracted, I was, you know, focusing on something else, and I could have been loving them. When we lose something, we recognize how precious it is, right? It's this kind of feeling that to really love something, it's like, you, you might not know how much you love it until you lose it. And I don't know how we can't all not be going through that right now on our planet. This planet is so beautiful. It is so abundant. It is so magical. We live on a, an insignificant speck of dust in the corner of the galaxy, in a universe that has thousands of galaxies that are being born every day. In a grand scheme, our planet is not important at all. But our planet is the only one we know of that is fostering life in the way that it is. Our planet is the only one we know of that has the kind of uh, diversity of beauty and life that it does. This planet is such an incredible resource. It is such a beautiful and exquisite being. And how we could have forgotten that, I don't know. But that is part of the trauma and part of the legacy of colonialism. It's part of the trauma and the legacy of whatever word it is that describes this insane instinct in human beings to conquer and destroy and rape what is beautiful, what is whole, what is natural. This planet is special. It is so valuable. And as con entire countries, continents are burning and gr groundwaters and oceans are being polluted and so many species are on the edge of extinction, including the human species, though it might not <laughs> immediately look like that. You know, we're really pushing the envelope here on our own survival. How can we not start to comprehend how beautiful this place is as we grok the possibility of losing it. Jupiter being the dispositor of Venus and Neptune, that means um, Jupiter is the, the planetary ruler, the traditional ruler of Pisces. 
And so when we want more information about Venus and Neptune, we look to the ruler of the sign that they're in. Jupiter is saying, okay, this is a moment of crisis for sure, but all crisis is also opportunity. We can learn, we can open, we can shift, but this is the moment and the moment is now. And Saturn and Pluto just below the ascendant are pushing that forwards. There is not time to waste. As I mentioned, um, Aquarius is fully intercepted within the first house. So in a, a personal chart, one way to think about interception is that it's an energy that is kind of below the surface. It can be hard to access. So we have to find ways to bring it out. We find ways to bring it out by looking to see if there are any planets that are in that sign and then working with the planetary energies. So the sun has just entered Aquarius and Mercury is there as well. We have here the two figures that most explicitly represent consciousness. The sun as kind of a, a grand consciousness, literally bringing light, allowing us to see something, and Mercury as a mental consciousness, the ability to articulate and understand something. Now, Aquarius is an energy that I've been kind of talking around a little bit, but let's take some time right now to really consider what it is, what Aquarius means. Um, astrology is a symbolic language, so anything that I'm offering are symbols that have made sense to me. Um, they're certainly not the entirety of um, what Aquarius could be. The first thing I think of when I think of Aquarius is its totem, its archetype, the water bearer. Um, this was confusing to me for a little bit as I um, was learning astrology and kind of thinking about Aquarius as an air sign. Why is it holding a jug of water? Um, and then I started to learn a little bit more about this archetype. The idea of the water bearer is um, a, a figure who is able to bring nourishing, life-giving substance to humanity. And part of how it does this is by bringing the gift of intelligence and the gift of objective um, detached awareness. Objectivity and detachment from the hooks of emotion. So there are a lot of beautiful things about the ways that we feel but also the ways that we feel compel us to do a lot of horrible things. And uh, again, the base level vibrations that have built the structures that com confine our lives, that really um, condition our lives, um, are structures that have certainly been built on emotionality, on fear, on desire, etc., on passion. So the way that emotions work is that they grip us right? You have a feeling about something and then um, suddenly your entire vision is clouded. That's the only thing that you can focus on. That's where your thoughts go. Your entire body responds. Aquarius as an energy is high thought form. It is not the emotional substance. It's the ability to remove oneself from the emotional substance and not disavow it, not turn away from it, but to see it for what it is, which is a fluctuating sensation. It's something that's passing. And it's also something that um, is, you know, not, not isolated and also not pure. Emotion is an intertwining, constantly evolving, morphing kind of thing. It's the water element, right? It's always flowing between us, through us, kind of getting mixed up with all kinds of stuff. 
So Aquarius, as the water bearer, delivers the, the nourishing waters to humanity, the ability to pacify the emotional state, to calm the emotional state, to think things through logically, to see them objectively. This capacity for objectivity and analysis leads to intelligence. This is exalted Aquarius. In a, a more challenging or, or detrimented Aquarius, we might find a kind of non-emotion or lack of emotion that can um, then be more of a space of data or um, a, a kind of cold-heartedness. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the highest potential of this sign, which is to um, see the whole picture, to take it all into account, and to see things for what they are. And that is where intelligence arises from. That objectivity, that ability to take it all in, and to see that every little part has a piece. So the intelligence of Krishnamurti or Martin Luther King or Dane Rudyard, all of these prophets, they were all able to look at a large picture and to see the way that systems had been built, that individuals had been trapped, that a collective momentum had formed, that persuaded individuals to believe a certain set of circumstances or conditions. They didn't say that individuals um, you know, were the cause, were the be-all, end-all, were the, the singular ones to fix something. They all shared the same message, that everybody has to awaken together. And this is such an Aquarian sentiment. It's Buckminster Fuller, right, that said, it's got to be all of us together or none of us at all. Aquarius in the body and medical astrology is associated to the nervous system. Um, and through my association, this is something that I've been working with um, in my own practice to fascia as a connective tissue. And fascia is something that has been named um, fairly recently and, and I haven't yet seen it included in astro uh, medical astrology texts. So um, I'm just stating that for those of you that study it. I don't know if there are other astrologers out there who are thinking about Aquarius and fascia, but We'll get into that in a second. So when we're thinking about this interconnectedness, this uh, kind of holistic system, we're all in this together in order for one piece to change, every piece has to change. The nervous system is like this. So the, the nervous system is, um, of course, your brain, your spinal cord, and then all of your nerves, um, the nerves that branch out into your um periphery, your limbs, your muscles, but also the nerves that enervate your organs. And the nervous system is a recorder of experience. And so basically from the moment that your nervous system starts to fire, you start um, a, a process of um, learning. And that process of learning is kind of a, a laying down of imprints or resonance that happens um, consistently, second to second, moment to moment, every impression that comes in through your nervous system starts to build a story. It starts to build a pattern. You can definitely think about the nervous system in terms of ancestry and um, DNA, and there's a lot of interesting work that's happening in those fields right now, the ways that our nervous systems are actually um, 
kind of pre-coded, pre-built by our ancestors and their experiences and the um, resonance or the residue um, that they carried then gets layered into us as soon as we're conceived and continues to be layered in throughout gestation, throughout infancy, and throughout our lives. The way that these impressions build upon one another um, builds habits, it builds patterns within the nervous system. And one of the main functions that our nervous system is responsible for is the delivery of information to the brain. And then the um, action potential that the brain gives to the body. So you perceive something, some kind of information comes in through your eyes, through your skin, through your ears, one of your sense organs. Um, that information travels incredibly quickly through your neurons into your spinal cord and up to your brain. It reaches some part of your brain or your cranial nerves, which are responsible for quick reflexes. And then that central command system, your brain and spinal cord, um, either have an automatic reflex or there is some kind of decision-making process to do something. And then that message gets relayed into your body. So maybe you scratch an itch, maybe you flinch, um, maybe you punch someone. When um, we experience these kinds of, of reflexes, these automatic responses to our environments, we are definitely tapping into the entirety of our biological evolution. So the, the reflex to flinch at danger is a reflex that saved some of your ancestors, that maybe saved you at some point in your life. That is something that has been learned and it has been layered into our nervous system because it is really useful as a survival mechanism. So if we think about the nervous system and the way that the nervous system um, functions in the body, and if we can take this as a symbol for Aquarius, right? Aquarius is an astrological sign and symbol that we can unpack into a lot of different things. So let's think about Aquarius as an energy relating to the nervous system. We can think about um, a cultural nervous system. Uh, Tara Huzumi is a great writer and thinker, contemporary thinker, who's been writing on the cultural uh, nervous system. You might want to check them out. Um, or the body politic, which is an idea that a lot of people have played with. This idea that there is a, a body in the people that there's a nervous system in the culture. There is a kind of larger body that we're all uh, responding to and responsive with. So when an impulse comes in, oh, you know, that country did something, now we're gonna drop a bomb, right? That there can be a kind of reactivity within a culture around something, a reactivity within a family, within a larger system. We can also think about um, circulation and the nervous system and the way that information comes in and then the body distributes some kind of resource and that this can happen within larger systems on earth. So when you think about the nervous system, think about a conduit for information, a conduit for intelligence, some space where decisions are made, where reactions happen, and then the resulting output or action of those decisions and reflexes. So think of that on a micro level in terms of your body in a relational level, and then on a macro level when it comes to a, a kind of larger group or larger system.
fascia as a connective tissue is something um, that is definitely a, a point of interest for a lot of people right now. And I'm sure that plenty of people listening know more about fascia than I do. I know a lot of body workers um, listen to this podcast. So um, I'll just say a, a little bit about what fascia is. And if you know more about it, then write to me and give me your poetics about it because I, I love the idea of what fascia is. It is a continuous interconnected connective tissue. Um, when you kind of slide the skin, um, your skin a little bit, like if you just move your skin a little, you'll feel that there's like a tug, there's a pull. And that's of course the tension of your skin itself, but the skin is uh, continuous with fascia. Fascia wraps around every single organ. It wraps around every single uh, muscle fiber. And what fascia does is it creates cohesion within a system. It can also create um, like a, a condensing or an adhesion within a system. Our connective tissue is part of our protective mechanism. Um, if we have an injury, for example, the body will naturally limit mobility around the injury so the injury has a chance to heal. And when the body limits mobility, what happens is that the fascia starts to um, adhere. So this connective tissue gets denser, it gets tighter, it gets more solidified um, in places where there's immobility. That quality of fascia, um, to me, makes sense a lot when I associate it to thinking. Now here's where I'm going to jump around even a little bit more. Aquarius, as an astrological symbol, is an air sign, and air is the element of thought. Aquarius is a fixed sign. That means that it happens at the middle of seasons, and the fixed signs are all known for being quite stubborn. So if we think about what happens when we get really fixed on something mentally, you know, that's the idea, that's the point, I'm going to fixate on it. We get a kind of hardness and rigidifying within the mind, within the gaze, within the attention. Fascia does something similar in the body. So it grips, it adheres, it holds a shape. A lot of times that adhering is functional, it's necessary. But in the body, similar to in the mind, when it's time to let go, someone needs to pay attention, someone needs to get that message. Because the body will react, it will do what it needs to to survive, our nervous systems will do what they need to to survive, but once the imminent threat is gone, we have to de-condition uh, the survival mechanism. We have to consciously change what we've been doing to protect ourselves because it's no longer necessary. So if you've ever experienced an injury, a broken bone, or a strain that caused immobility in your body, um, you know that even after the injury healed, there was probably still tightness and tension around the injury. Maybe it's still there. Maybe you still feel it. Um, or maybe you figured out how to work with it or you worked with a PT or something like that to loosen up the holding pattern, to rewire the nervous system so that it wasn't in a space of protection and to help the fascia uh, soften up and release its grip. So when I think about fascia and the nervous system and Aquarius as an energy, 
um, what happens for me is I get an embodied sensation of Aquarius as intelligence, as rapid intelligence, taking in all kinds of information, all kinds of little pieces of data, sorting it, directing it, doing things that it needs to do with it. You know, how many messages does your brain process in a single minute? You know, a, a lot <laughs> and less and less as you get older, but a lot. Um, when I think about Aquarius and fascia, I think about the way that thought can get stuck on things um, and that how we consciously work with information is part of how we get unstuck. But to get unstuck, we have to go in intentionally, sometimes scrape it out, sometimes stretch it out, sometimes ask the system to do what is uncomfortable, what's unknown, what is, um, you know, a, a totally different, maybe very counterintuitive pattern um, in order to heal and in order to resolve. Finally, in the body, Aquarius has correspondence to the ankles, the ankle joints. Um, and I love this image as a body nerd, um, especially when I think about the sequence of the signs. Pisces rules the feet. The feet are incredibly adaptive. They have I don't know how many joints. There's like 26 bones in the foot, some 70 or something joint articulations, a lot of different ways and spaces a, a foot can move potentially. Um, Aquarius comes right before Pisces and right before Aquarius comes Capricorn and Capricorn rules the knees. The knees are really functional, simple, straightforward joints. They just open, they close, they open, they close. They shouldn't actually do that much else if they're gonna be healthy. So on one hand, we've got a lot of possibility in the feet, a lot of adaptability, squishiness, um, many different options. This is the Pisces place. Then we have a really straightforward, simple directive space. This is Capricorn. And in the middle, we have the ankle, Aquarius. And the ankle is an amazing joint. It does have quite a lot of adaptability, being a place where you're um, four leg bones kind of come together and articulate around uh, the top of your foot and your ankle bones. And the, what the ankle does is it translates all the potentiality of the feet into the directive of the knee. Um, if you are a body person, then you can be with me right now just um, by kind of thinking about this relationship of joints and the ways that the joints express their relationships to each other. So if we think about what the ankle does, the ankle is a space where we need to take a lot of different information um, and move it around functionally so that it can create a direct force. The ankle is also a place that is the recipient of direct force. And then it has to translate that force into a lot of possibilities. So Aquarius as a sign that comes between Capricorn and Pisces, Capricorn is a sign that represents laws, rules, governance, and Pisces is a sign that represents the collective outcome, the, the stuff that is manifesting in the everywhere. Aquarius is the people. Aquarius is a symbol of systems, the ways that things get organized. It's a symbol of networks. It is an organizational capacity. 
when I was talking about Aquarius as this kind of high-level intelligence, um, and now when I think about it in relationship to these other signs, I'm thinking about the potential of the people to create the laws and the rules. And what is written into the Declaration of Independence, into the Constitution for the United States, you know, which is really that the, the people need to be the governing body, that if a time would come when the government um, is an oppression upon the people, then the, it is actually the people's responsibility to overthrow the government. If there's inflexibility or immobility in one place, then another place has to move for it. This is a physiological rule. Now, how do the people work? How do they function? How do we understand the power of the people? Aquarius in Western astrology has two planetary rulers. There's the traditional ruler, which is Saturn, and then the modern ruler, which is Uranus. The Uranian influence of Aquarius expresses a suddenness. The symbol of Uranus, as I mentioned um, briefly in, in the chart of the moment, is a symbol of um, upheaval, of change, of rapidly changing circumstances. So when this planet shows up in a chart, or when we consider the meaning of the planet, we want to consider something um, in an awakening space, uh, in a space of revolt. Aquarius in its function for awakening and revolt is very Uranian. And when I think about the nervous system, what I'm thinking about is what happens to the nervous system under pressure. Um, this can be both pleasurable or productive or extremely um, challenging and uh, destructive. But for a, a more pleasurable example, um, I'll kind of offer just something that happens to me fairly regularly. I don't know if this happens to you. Um, I'll be putting a, a lot of pressure on myself about something or I'll be experiencing a lot of pressure and I'll be really stressed out. I'll be really worried. And then I'll get to a space where I go, oh, well, it doesn't fucking matter. And something um, will just give way in me or I'll get to some kind of point where I um, recognize that there's another way around the problem. But often I don't get there until I experience the intensity of pressure building up. That's the thing that gets me there. So one way to think about um, Uranus in um, its association to Aquarius is this snapping, this kind of aha moment. I don't have to do that anymore, but it is the result of pressure. And that pressure comes from its preceding sign. It comes from Capricorn, the, the pressure of um, confinement, the pressure of reality, the pressure of rules. Now, Saturn as the other um, ruler, as the other energy associated with Aquarius is really different in its manifestation than Uranus. It's a planet that signifies conviction and purpose and um, commitment, fortitude. It's, it's like a long haul. And Saturn is very much a um, uh, unsurprising element. You know, it's, it's a, uh, a symbol of determination and kind of a, a plotting consistency. But when I think about Saturn in relationship to Aquarius, um, I can think about it in two ways. One way is the fixation of Aquarius as a fixed air sign. 
So when the mind gets gripped on something, we go, okay, this is the way it is. That's one way that Aquarius can function. Um, we can think about this in terms of the people, of a large group of people. Um, group think, right? It's this is the way that something is. This is the, the mind of the people. We're not innovative right now. We're not asking questions. We've just all accepted that when the light turns red, you stop. And when the light turns green, you go. And if no cars are coming, uh, oh, well, just wait till the light to turn. That's a kind of fixed thought. This is the way that things are. Saturn in Aquarius, um, in its association to Aquarius, is also the symbol of the tenacity and the fortitude it takes to change. And this is actually where I understand its um, relationship to Aquarius more. That when there is a, a rebellion, that rebellion can be effective only if it continues. If the resistance is continuous, then there is an effect. If it's a moment in time, it's a moment in time. It takes fortitude, it takes commitment, it takes discipline to carry out a rebellion. Um, it has to happen over time, consistently, with dedication. All right, so let's now think about these themes once again in relationship to the chart of the moment, the moment that the sun is moving into the sign Aquarius. Aquarius is intercepted within the first house. It is a critical and important part of the identity right now that there is um, intelligence that's available. There is the power of the people. There is the potential for revolt. But something heavy and oppressive needs to give way first. And part of what is giving way has to do with this moment of learning that we're in right now. The sun is conjunct to Mercury. Mercury is the mind. It is the uh, language of intelligence as it filters through um, speech, as it filters through symbolism. The sun and Mercury together in the sign of Aquarius, to me, are representative of a lot of people talking, a lot of information being shared. I'm talking about it on this podcast. Everybody's talking about it on their podcast. People are making posts about it. It's in the news. I don't know about you, but I've personally been um, delighted and surprised to see a lot of the language that's coming out around this war in major news publications. A lot of people don't want it. A lot of people are considering the historical context for war. A lot of people are skeptical about the reasons behind this war. Um, Sun and Mercury conjunct are sextile. That means that they're acting productively with the Moon and Mars, which are also conjunct. They're acting together in the sign of Sagittarius in the 11th house. The 11th house is the house associated to Aquarius. It's the house of the people. Sagittarius is a sign that is associated to Jupiter. I was talking about Jupiter uh, before. Now, the idea of Jupiter as being a planet of knowledge, um, an energy that encourages us to expand our thinking, to widen our scope, to make meaning out of an experience, this is where an emotional need is, all right? So the, the moon represents the interior, the emotional need, the hunger. Um, Mars represents the passion, the drive for something. The moon and Mars together in Sagittarius in the 11th house can certainly be taken as a symbol of the people being motivated to um, all together now awaken, to talk to one another, to expand their frame of reference. 
And finally, the last piece that I want to look at in this chart is the square that's forming between the Sun and Uranus. So the Sun has just moved into Aquarius and over the course of the next couple of days it is going to perfect a square with, um, with this planet that I've been talking about that has so much to do with Aquarius, this energy of disruption, change, upheaval, aha moments, and something snapping. Uranus is in Taurus. Um, if you listen to last year's episode on um, Taurus season, you'll find a lot of information uh, on this placement there. This is a seven to eight year transit. It's just begun in the last couple of years. And Taurus is um, another one of the fixed signs. It's fixed earth. It represents um, the power of accumulation. It has a lot of association to land, to wealth, to property. And Uranus and Taurus, I think, is the potential for quite a um, shift in our economies. Now, there have been other astrological cycles of Uranus and Taurus that are major shifts in economies, destabilizations, and certainly that's um, a, a big potential and probably going to happen fairly soon. Uranus and Taurus can also represent literally changes in the earth, earthquakes, fires, floods, etc., um, finally, Uranus and Taurus, I, I like to think about it um, in one of its potentially most exalted expressions, which is the awakening of the body. And this idea that our bodies are intelligent is an idea that is um, becoming more and more popular right now. It's the, the word somatics, right, or the word embodiment is a word that's on the tip of a lot of people's tongues. And this way of thinking or sensing into our experience is something that um, more and more people are, I think, willing to consider. Um, there are more and more approaches to it, not just regular fitness classes, but a lot of different ways that people are exploring embodiment and recognizing the wisdom of the body or recognizing the need to love their bodies, connect with their bodies, and that their bodies are not separate from other bodies and bodies in general are not separate from the earth. So how I want to think about Uranus and Taurus is this awakening of the body, awakening of the sensate intelligence, of embodied intelligence and earthly intelligence. And as the sun squares this planet, what we have is a confrontation. It's a necessity to awaken to something. It is uh, potentially kind of a, a brutal awakening, depending on how it's being experienced or perceived. But it's also an invitation to change something, to shift consciousness, to elevate consciousness, to wake the fuck up. Um, so... As I consider these next 29, 30 days of Aquarius season, I want to consider this as um, the birth chart of Aquarius season. And Aquarius season is a really interesting season, I think. There's um, some, some pretty interesting stuff going on. Um, one of the things that is going on is simply that there is a kind of preface of what's going to be happening in Aquarius over the course of the next couple years. Um, in just a few months, in, in March, Saturn will make its first ingress into Aquarius. Um, it'll just travel to one degree of Aquarius, it'll turn retrograde in the summer, and then um, by winter next year, or December, not sure what season that is for you, by December next year it will make its final ingress into Aquarius and then Saturn will have about three years there. 
Um, so this month we're getting kind of a preview of some Aquarian themes and what Saturn's transit through Aquarius is going to be. Now Saturn's transit uh, through Aquarius kind of um, gets set off um, with its conjunction to Jupiter right at the first degree of Aquarius and that'll happen in December of 2020. That conjunction, sometimes called the Great Conjunction, is a, a fascinating cycle to look at. It happens about once every 20 years. And the thing about that conjunction is that um, when Saturn and Jupiter come together, they tend to come together in signs of the same element. And for the last 200 years or so, they've been coming together in the Earth signs. And Earth is an element that deals very much with the rules of the Earth plane, with property, with ownership, with manifestation. As Saturn and Jupiter come together this year in Aquarius, um, it sets off a new cycle of their conjunctions that we will um, be in until I think 2000, uh, 2159, 2159, whatever year that is. So <laughs> way past when I'm gonna be gone from this planet. Um, 139 years from now, that will be the end of the cycle that is happening, um, that's beginning in December. So this puts us into a cycle of um, both expansion and manifestation, the birth of new ideas taking form, the symbolic um, uh, gesture of Jupiter and Saturn coming together in the air signs. Air, again, is an element that relates to information, relationship between people, connections between people, consciousness, language, and technology. We are entering into what is possibly the Aquarian age, if this is something that you want to think about. The Aquarian age um, could be a lot of things. It can definitely be peace, love, and flowers, but Aquarius is also very much associated to um, corporate conglomerates, you know, big groups of people, massive networks, big systems. It's very much associated to the internet, um, to digital realities and uh, virtual technologies. So we're moving into an age when science and technology will be becoming uh, more and more pervasive and um, more and more powerful. And we're also moving into a time when the power of the people um, is something that potentially can be mobilized in a really different way. We might be able to communicate, to connect with one another in a really different way. And if we work for the exalted potential of Aquarius, we can work for an awakening. We can work for a consciousness shift. We can work for this kind of idea of liberation and freedom that is really um, so important in the Aquarian symbol, this pacification of humanity's emotional reactivity, the lifting up out of our base level um, kind of survival instincts, our fear, our competition, and our abilities to work together to um, celebrate our diversity, to celebrate the biodiversity on the planet because we know that it is biodiversity that creates resilience, that creates systems that thrive and that are vital and therefore we need everybody on board and we need everybody to be taken care of. A couple of other things happening this month. Mercury will begin its retrograde phase. Um, so it starts what's called its shadow on February 3rd. It turns retrograde on the 16th um, and it will finish up with its shadow period on March 30th. 
Mercury will spend most of its retrograde in Pisces and um, it'll backtrack back into the late degrees of Aquarius at the end of its retrograde. Um, beginning this month, um, and I'm saying this month as in Aquarius season, so beginning in the next 30 days, start to uh, pay attention you know, to your chart, to the significance of Mercury retrograde as a symbol of the time when the mind naturally wants to reflect on itself, when we consider our um, perspectives, when we rethink things a little bit. Mercury will be moving through Pisces. I talked about Pisces as a quality of um, love, of moving beyond difference, of coming into a space of oneness and um, empathy and shared responsibility. Pisces is an incredibly sensitive sign. Now is a time that we want to be learning from our sensitivities. Um, those of us with environmental sensitivities have a lot to teach the world about taking care of the planet. Those of us with emotional sensitivities have a lot to teach the world about emotional literacy. So pay attention to sensitivities, but apply your Aquarian intelligence. And this is a really important part of these next 30 days. Use your objective logic to understand what's going on for you emotionally. Pay attention to your emotions as they arise, but really seek to understand them, to hold them in the complexity of everything else that's happening around you, to see the variance of experiences that happen all around you, to see all of the parts moving together. Wherever Aquarius is in your chart is a place to pay attention to. This is a place where you want to consider what kinds of habits do you want to continue with and what kinds of habits do you want to break? Is there a revolt that wants to happen? And if a revolt happens, what kind of tenacity and fortitude do you have to continue the revelation? Pay attention to the house that Pisces rules in your chart. This is a place where you are going to spend some time over the course of the next couple of months. Mercury, the mind traveling through Pisces, wants us to um, go deep into our intuition, to expand our awareness of our sensitivities. And again, through Aquarius season, we want to use our intelligence to meet with our intuition and our sensitivity. All right, there's a lot more going on in Aquarius season. Um, Venus will move into Aries on February 8th. Mars will move into Capricorn on February 16th. There are many more planetary aspects and, of course, the lunar cycles that are coming up in the next 30 days. Um, make sure to check in with me on the new moon, um, the 24th of January, I'll be releasing a, a lunar attunement. And I'm kind of considering Aquarius season, but especially the, this new moon, really as the beginning of the new year for me. Um, Capricorn season and the beginning of 2020 in the Gregorian calendar felt like a lot of wrapping up and closure energy and kind of old stuff. And my energetic feeling is that the new year is uh, just about to begin and that this new moon really feels like it's bringing it in. Um, so I'll be offering a writing practice on the new moon to help connect with this kind of initiatory and future forward um, energy. I'll be offering another attunement at the full moon uh, uh, practice to get embodied to um, uh, appreciate and enjoy the connection between Aquarius and its opposite sign Leo 
And there's a lot more that I offer throughout the month. You can follow me on Instagram at Embodied Astrology, where I post a couple of times a week, kind of just musing on astrology. Of course, there is the subscription content. You can get little tidbits every day for following along with the astrology. Um, there are your audio horoscopes, which are available for free right now. You can find them for Aquarius season. And please share this work if you enjoy it. Please share it with your friends and family. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I am wishing you all the best in Aquarius season. I'll check in with you again at the end of February on the 19th for Pisces season. And until then, lots of love and bye for now.